Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. And so they threw him into a pit with hungry, ferocious lions and, well, okay, we'll get to that in a minute. What do you do when the laws of the land come in conflict with the convictions of your conscience? I wanna talk to you about a dilemma that men and women, boys and girls, have faced throughout history. But before we go down that rabbit hole or lion's den, I wanna share a few verses of scripture with you. So John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, The Creator, Jesus, God, identifies Himself, not distinct from, but in sync with, the word or the words in this book. Uh, Then there's 2 Timothy 3.16. It describes how all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So God is saying he inspired every word of this book. Then there's Hebrews chapter 13 and verse eight. It answers the question, does God change his mind over time? Does he change his opinions? And the verse says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And finally, Malachi 3, 6 says, I am the Lord, I don't change. So if all that is true, and since it's in the Bible, I believe it is, then I'd like to present what appears on the surface to be a dilemma. You know, a lot of people take issue with scripture because they think it contradicts itself and it's confusing. But scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 33, God is not the author of confusion. Okay, so with all that, I wanna talk to you today about what happens when the laws of man come in conflict with the laws of God. What do you do? For many Americans, we think that our founding documents prevent this concept. So, you know, other other countries haven't been so blessed. And could there, that was a little of my Southern accent coming out there. Could there be a movement afoot to bring church and state together again? You know, a thousand years of history show us that this idea of mingling these two things is a terrible one. In fact, that is why America was founded in the first place, for freedom of conscience. And so for some people right now, they feel that the Bible encourages us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That's from Hebrews chapter 10. And that with all that is going on, this right or this freedom to assemble in a church and worship is under attack. So let me ask you, is a quarantine order in contradiction to the laws of God? Some pastors have been arrested recently for being so passionate about this. Or or to let me complicate it a little, what if your government said no one can meet in a church, in a religious building, for two years? Well, we do actually have some scripture about quarantining the sick in Leviticus 13. So so how do we handle situations where these, these things are in conflict? I wanna show you two examples that may at first appear contradictory from scripture But if God is not the author of confusion, then we have to reconcile what we should do. Okay, so the first one is in Romans chapter 13, and it's in verses one to five. It's about obeying government authorities, and I wanna read it. 
It says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, or, or some versions describe it, everyone must submit to governing authorities. Then it goes on to say, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Then it goes on, it says, so anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. Verse three, for the authorities, they do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without the fear of authorities? It goes on to say, then do what is right and they will honor you. You know, it describes how the authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid for they have the power to punish you, it says. It, it says, they are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. And then verse five says, so you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Okay, so that's Romans chapter 13. Let's put that on the table. Then I wanna show you another story from the Older Testament. This is from the book of Daniel in chapter six. This is the lion's den story that many have heard of. This is a story I think about the dangers of surveillance and well, okay, other issues too. So Daniel in the lion's den, chapter six. Now uh, we could start in verse six and it describes it like this. Darius the king decides to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. And he appoints a high officer over each province to rule it. And then the king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise all these high officers and to protect the king's interests. And then Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and the high officers. And it was because of his great ability that the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. And then that's when the pettiness starts. If you really wanna know somebody, you give them power or you give them power over you or others. This is, this is a case in this story where men are jealous of one another and they're doing all they can to take Daniel down and destroy him. All right, so on to verse four. Then it says, the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they conclude, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So these officers go to the king and propose this new law that for 30 days, no one is allowed to pray to anyone, divine or human, except you, O king. So think about this. Freedom of conscience is illegal for a set time. And well, you know, imagine king, you know, you're gonna see them talking to him, people worshiping you for 30 days and, and then the king gets all excited. Wow, this would be really nice. Yeah, that's great, let's try that. So he signs it into the law. Well, then, then the verse is described. Then he immediately, you know, the king thinks everything is fine, but then these guys, they could go put in this spy apparatus to start to track Daniel, listen to him, watch him, ask citizens that if they see something, say something. You know, I can imagine if he had a cell phone, start tracking him, listening to everything he's doing. 
But Daniel was the most respected leader in the empire. And the Bible says in verse 10 of chapter six that he had this habit that he did every day. And it says, when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home, he knelt down as usual, or as was his custom, and he opened his windows toward Jerusalem because he prayed three times a day as he always had done, giving thanks to God. Then the story says the officials went together to Daniel's house. They find him praying, asking for God's help. So they go straight to the king to remind the king about the law. And they ask him, King, did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, uh, they would be thrown into the den of lions, right? And the king responds, yes, that decision stands. It's an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. And then they tell the king, well, that man, Daniel, one of the captives of Judah, he's ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. And you can imagine when the king hears this, he's so upset with himself. How could he have been tricked into this? Of course, his friend Daniel prays to the God of heaven. And now he's in a predicament and he's being reminded constantly that the law of the land is the law. So finally, the king gives these orders for Daniel to be arrested, thrown into the den of lions. And the king says to him, as he's throwing him in, Daniel, may your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. And then a stone is brought, placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of the nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. And then it describes that the king returns to his palace. He spends the night fasting. He refuses his usual entertainment and all these delicious foods. He couldn't sleep the entire night. And then it says the next morning he gets up real early and the king hurries down to the lion's den. And when he got there, he calls out to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? And then Daniel answers, long live the king. My God sent his angel and he shut the lion's mouths. And so they didn't hurt me. You know, I'm innocent in your sight, O king, and I haven't wronged you. And then the king, he, he responds in this way where he's overjoyed. He orders Daniel to be lifted out of the den and not a scratch was on him because he trusted in his God. And then the king gives these orders. Arrest the men that did this to Daniel, that set up this conspiracy and that accused Daniel wrongfully and then throw them along with their wives and children into the lion's den. Then it says the lions leaped up, tore them in pieces before they even hit the floor. Then there's another story about three Hebrews being thrown into a fiery furnace. We're not gonna talk about that right now. But these are stories about people standing true to conscience. So what do we do? Daniel's given inspiration from the same spirit that gave Paul inspiration. From, from the same spirit that gave John inspiration. So all these Bible writers are inspired by the same Holy Spirit. Yet in Daniel 6 and Romans 13, they seem to be contradicting. So I think the answer we have to keep digging for. We find it with the friends of Jesus. The apostles have been commissioned by Jesus to go all into all the world, tell people this story, that Jesus came from heaven to earth, that he was one of us, that he died for us, 
and that he was raised from the dead to remind anyone that he has the keys of death. Oh, and finally, that Jesus had gone to this heavenly temple and that one day he would return for us. So this story is in the book of Acts. Acts chapter five, verses 17 to 29. And it says this, the high priest and his officials who were Sadducees, uh, they were filled with jealousy and they arrested the apostles and put them in jail. But then it says an angel of the Lord came that night, opened the gates of the jail, brought them out. Then the angel tells them, go to the temple and give the people the message of life. So as soon as the sun rises, the apostles enter the temple as they were told, and immediately they begin teaching. And when the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, it says. Then it goes on to say, they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail to them for a trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and they report on this. Uh, The jail was securely locked and the guards were standing outside, but when we opened the gates, no one was there. And then the captain of the temple guard and the leading priest, they hear this and, and they're perplexed, wondering, what, where is this leading? Like, what's going on here? Then someone bursts into this room with startling news. The men you put in jail, they're standing in the temple teaching the people. And so so the guards go out and they arrest the apostles and, and they're trying to make sure the mob doesn't go out of control here. And then they bring these apostles into this high council of the government where the high priest and, you know, the religion and the state are mingling at this point. And then they say, we gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name, talking about Jesus. Instead, you filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about this man, Jesus, and you want to make us responsible for his death. And then this is the verse. Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. And then they go on to describe the God of our ancestors. Uh, He raised Jesus from the dead. You killed him, you hung him on a cross. And and he's now at the right hand of God and we're witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit. And and the Holy Spirit's given to all who believe. And and the the council hears this and they're furious and they wanna kill them a second time. All right, so, so we've got these things on the table. The stories that seem to contradict and then perhaps how you deal with things in the middle. Now, I want to take you into this current moment uh, where the world is in lockdown. People are dying. Storms are coming. Well, have come. Many friends of mine affected this past week. The stress of society seems to be compounding. The markets seem to be schizophrenic. People are losing their jobs. Food lines are growing. Yet in the midst of all this chaos and sorrow, Something absolutely strange is happening that not many of us are paying attention to. There are some people who think that everything going on is a good thing. Numerous media outlets have these reports coming out about how with less human activity, the environment, nature, ecosystems seem to be healing. One quote stated it like this, the reduction in human activity is having an unintended benefit. Earth is healing herself. Workers will also be wanting to start earning again after many companies suspended wages because of the downturn. 
As China's economic engine starts turning over again, scientists will be watching with interest what happens to the environment as a result. Puede que sea todo esto un ajuste de cuentas de la naturaleza con nosotros. Hay un dicho que seguramente vos lo conocés. Dios perdona siempre. Nosotros perdonamos de vez en cuando. La naturaleza no perdona nunca. Los incendios, las inundaciones, los terremotos. O sea, la naturaleza está pataleando when we see this kind of profound shutting down of the transportation sector, um, so much of industry and the broader economy, um, that does indicate uh, that a lot of critical pollutants are dropping um, in their concentrations uh, on the order of 30%, say, um, in some major cities. Um, so we see the air quality rapidly improving in those places. That's a quick, if potentially temporary, response. I'm sure you've heard some of those by now. Before the pandemic absorbed all of our news feeds and all of our headlines, the environment, nature, climate change was perhaps the most lightning rod issue in the world. Many Christians deny anything is changing. In fact, some see Christian America as the holdouts to having a worldwide agreement on addressing how we can heal the environment. You know, I personally, I'm pretty passionate about nature myself. I, I finally figured out a few years ago that maybe what God told us in the beginning is the ideal lifestyle to live in the book of Genesis. You know, the most sustainable, a diet full of plants, a life around nature, animals, uh, not cooped up in buildings all day long. You know, it's amazing how much though life has changed on that very point. Think about it, a hundred years ago, most families lived on farms. Now less than 6% of Americans really have any connection with nature or growing at least some of their own food. I remember when I was a kid, I thought Looney Tunes cartoons were absolutely hilarious. You had Foghorn Leghorn, Wile E. Coyote, Roadrunner, Bugs Bunny, Porky Pig. You notice anything about all these characters? They're all animals. They often had these stories taking place on farms or in the desert, or out in the woods, but they were all in nature. And then almost overnight, Captain Planet, Transformers, and all these other shows began to teach that the future would be very different than the past. Then it was like media began to build this case that if you lived on a farm, you were a hillbilly. And if, if you wanted to be refined, you'd live in the big city with all the conveniences that you could ever dream of. And everything I was watching, listening, reading, began to paint this utopian future that said, living in the city, that's where it's at. Recycling, that's where it's at. Pollution is bad. Cars should be self-driving. Surveillance, that just means convenience. And life in the future, it will be amazing. And then here we are. Life in the future isn't what Hollywood promised us. But it is what Jesus promised. Deception everywhere, nature out of control, climactic events all around, all the things in Matthew 24 describing these things to us. Uh, and I remember Al Gore a few years ago, he said, all these things we're seeing in nature is like, you know, when we watch the evening news, now it feels like we're taking a nature hike through the book of Revelation. 
So I, I just wanna put these things on the table that we need to be considering. And, and this really goes back to, what do you do when the laws of man come in conflict with the laws of God? They say those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So let's look at history first. It's a few hundred years after Jesus walked the earth and he went back to heaven and he promised he would come back. But for some reason, there's this delay. And for these first few hundred years, all Christians worship together on the seventh day of the week, the holiday of creation, the day established to celebrate a creator God that created us and sustains us and sustains all of nature. This, this creator that wants to be our friend every seventh day of the week. But then fast forward a little bit. Around the fourth century, the church begins to get in bed with the state. And the church had started to compromise. It stopped standing for things. It, it stopped calling sin by its right name. And so what once started as people calling themselves followers of the way, and then Christians, and now the church, was losing its power, its connection to the Spirit of God, and really its influence was disappearing. And when the church loses its power from God, it turns to the power of man. Because when the church can no longer woo you by God's Spirit, the state is called upon to use force. And the institution that through Jewish history and all of history, that was used to identify the sincere followers of God was the Sabbath. That holiday set up on the seventh day of creation to help man never forget, God created all this. You were created for a purpose by a loving God who wanted you to live forever with him. And through history, this has been the sign that the state has used to identify people and persecute them Governments using this to identify who are the ones we need to persecute. We see this in the story of Esther with the Persians persecuting the Jews. We see this in the story of Daniel and the Babylonians and Medes and Persians persecuting. We see this as the Romans persecuted the followers of Jesus, who even after his death and his resurrection, they continued this habit that had been established in Eden long before there was a Jew on the earth, that they worshiped God on the seventh day of every week, the God of creation, the God of nature. And it didn't stop in Jesus' day because the book of Acts tells us 85 times, making it crystal clear, these followers of the way continued to worship on the seventh day of every week. And then there was this prediction in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, that the falling away would come. It says, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. See, the church loses its grasp on Jesus and it gets in bed with the state and the arms of love become the arms of persecution. And then we see that, that the mingling of pagan and Christian holidays begins. It, it was Constantine's hope, wanting to nationalize the Christian religion into this hybridized thing in order to keep the peace in the empire between the pagans and the Christians. And today we know of some of those holidays like Easter and Christmas, pagan holidays, that were somehow in some ways baptized into the Christian faith. But most don't know 
that the biggest holiday swap was from the seventh to the first day of the week when Christians started to assemble and then they started to take off work. And in Daniel 7.25, written nearly a thousand years before this, talks about this time predicted or prophesied that would arise. When, when this power would identify itself as a, an institution of God and it would claim the power to forgive sin and attempt to change times and laws and holidays and even the law of God. And we don't have to look far to see that this appeasement between pagans and Christians started with the removal of the second commandment, forbidding the, the worship of idols and statues. So that was removed. And then the 10th was divided, so you still have 10. But the fourth was also changed because the day of the sun, this high day, the biggest day of the pagan calendar each week somehow started to become the holy day, the Lord's day. Now I hope you're asking how in the world would the followers of Jesus begin to follow a completely different set of commandments, worship on a different day than all previous had done for 4,000 years of history. Well, it didn't happen overnight. At first, Sundays were just a, a special holiday each week. It was regarded as a day of recreation and, and, and the Sabbath was still observed. It was a day where businesses were asked to close, give people the day off. Some industries were deemed essential, like growing and delivering food, but eventually even those were asked, take the day off. At first, there was nothing religious about it, at least on the surface. And if you read through the first four books of the New Testament, you can see that God's people, you know, they began to put burdens on this Sabbath day. A lot of rules where it almost became a burden itself. And so history began to repeat. Sunday, the first day of the week, was this holiday. It was a great day, lots of activity, fun. But slowly but surely, the Sabbath began to be called this day for fasting. And it was a very somber day. What, what kid would look forward to that? And then came the summits, the worldwide meetings that brought everyone together. All the competing religious belief systems to say, hey, let's set aside this one day each week. And let's make it the first day of the week. Somehow, Lucifer managed to use the church and the state to change the only commandment that reminds us that we were created by a loving creator. So upon the suggestion of one of Constantine's close advisors, Eusebius, he's a bishop, he declares that, well, not a lot of people know this, but Jesus actually transferred the day of remembering creation from Sabbath to Sunday. And then slowly but surely, Christians began to just believe that, okay, well, Jesus did resurrect on the first day of the week, so it's an important day. And, and just like that, the fourth commandment that was, that was the Sabbath was forgotten. How did this happen? Well, at first, fines came in, then the seizure of property, then arrest, then the death penalty. If you chose to honor the seventh day of the week instead of the official holiday of the empire the first day of the week. Now you have this pagan government merging with the church, almost becoming complete. And the announcement of all this, uh, history books show this was around AD 321 by Constantine. And this would be followed by over a thousand years of persecution to the faithful of Jesus. There were reports that began to be circulated that those who didn't respect the law of the land were the ones responsible for the catastrophes the climate-related events taking place, like some people being killed by storms. 
And after hundreds of years of constant struggle against persecution, the faithful of Jesus for the sake of peace and security relented. And they finally just accepted this new holiday. One author described it as the noontide of the papacy was midnight for the world. All right, so why do I tell you all this? Because today, the church around the world is losing its power and I think there are reasons to consider that the church is starting to seek the power of the state to regain all that has been lost. And they wanna do that no matter what it costs. And the most influential leader of the Christian church, that same institution that made all those decrees over a thousand years ago, he's been making some statements that for the last few years since the encyclical Laudato Si was published, really building on this idea that nature is crying out and we must do something. You know, I wanna agree that nature has been abused, that the creation entrusted to us we, we mow down rainforests to grow food for our own cattle, or, or we just use it to, to raise more cattle, all to satisfy our appetites that science shows us. Most of our diseases come from eating like this, completely unsustainable. We spray poison on our crops so we can grow more of them for cheaper, while we subsidize other farmers to not grow crops. We have a problem. Many take issue with welfare for the poor, Yet we don't consider welfare paid to farmers to not grow crops. And I think we can agree that things are on unsustainable paths, but rather than bring force in, how do we address the real issue? If we lived with the ways that God has called us to in scripture, we wouldn't see the pollution and destruction that we do today. But instead of us hearing about that in the headlines, we, we hear how man is the problem. And, and that as the world economy is grinding to a halt, which is, well, we're gonna see what that is. But then we we're told that nature is healing. And in the midst of all the suffering we're in, some just don't wanna let this crisis go to waste. I wanna show you, with all these pieces on the table, there's something going on behind the scenes. And, and I, have, I have some videos I want you to look at, just a few short clips that the solutions being proposed are seemingly random right now. But if we learn from history, I don't think they're random. Because in the prophecies of Daniel and John in the book of Revelation, both of them write of a day when the laws of man would again, at the close of time, come in conflict with the laws of God. And then our question is, what do we do then? When nature is pitted against nature's God. As of Sunday, most businesses like grocery stores will be closed every Sunday for the whole month of April to give employees a chance to rest. And everyone says that's how it should be. So this is nothing new. This has happened before along the same arguments in history. A conflict between two forces, two powers, two ideologies. And it, we don't have to look far to look at the religion of worshiping nature and the religion of worshiping the creator of nature are paganism and Christianity. This is about allegiance. Who has our heart? Can we save ourselves or do we look to God to save us? We have this case study that, that 
I think all of us are in this experiment of this, this idea that let's be honest that for a few months, it, it's not usual. And, and if people are arguing, well, we can save ourselves. You know, you can imagine looking at those clips. It's not a, a far-fetched idea to hear people saying, well, hey, we've been shut down for, let's say, 60 days in this country. What if we just shut things down for 52 days a year? We could pick any day of the week to do that, but I don't think it's a coincidence that there's one particular day being recommended. I know that, that this may sound like foolishness to some, but if you really look deep, there's something here. And as long as the faithful can still worship God according to the dictates of their conscience, of our conscience, we're fine. But what happens if the majority say, hey, there are some still like the Jews who worship God on the seventh day of the week, and and a lot of these things in nature just don't seem to stop. This has been the identifier of God's people through history. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 20, it says the Sabbath is God's sign or seal of authority. And get this, where do we get the authority of the first day of the week? The church has said it is the mark of our authority. So I believe that we are to honor our government wherever that may be as much as we can, because that's what Romans 13 calls us to. So long as we are not asked to come in conflict with conscience. But when it does, if prophecy is true, Revelation 13 paints this picture we'll talk about some other time, that the church and the state, not just in this country, but in countries around the world, would come together and persecute a minority that stands for freedom of conscience. Not an if, but a when. And we have to join the chorus of Peter and those men in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, we ought to obey God rather than men. And I know this brings a lot of ideas into discussion, the law of God, and, and, and I just don't want you to forget that Jesus says, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And if we wanna be like those first followers of the way, those followers of Jesus, where the, the faith was pure, we need to go back, back to the beginning, to be what, what the Bible calls in Revelation a part of the remnant. The remnant is just a piece of the original that identifies with those characteristics of those believers who followed Jesus everywhere he he went and everywhere he goes today. If you're in a system that is a system of control, of confusion, God is calling you out of that today. And I just wanna encourage you to ask for him to help you and give you courage. May God bless you, may he speak to you and make things clear to you. I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.